What a giant privilege to be here with you all today. Thank you so much uh, for coming. Um, I'm going to start off with a confession and let you know that Mother's Day for me for several years, maybe even more, uh, was the worst day in the calendar year. Um, I'm not going to fill all of our limited time with the devastating details. They are in the book. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Um, <laughs> but to understand why I'm so passionate about our dear Lord, you need to understand what he's done for this mother. So here's a quick synopsis. I'm a preacher's daughter who was raised in a beautiful and loving Christian home with parents who love the Lord Jesus, his words, and his ways. Um, they've been married this October for 74 years. Yes, I said that. Sorry. Um, they've raised four children, and they are grandparents and great-grandparents to a big family. And all that time, they have relied completely on the Lord. Um, not a life of perfection, but definitely direction. And all of us need to remember that. None of us are perfect, but where we're headed is critical. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was just five years old, so those little caps and gowns that you saw, that was me. I'd been introduced to Jesus. I wanted him to be my friend. But at the age of 12, with a deeper understanding about what that meant, I gave my life to him. And there's something so beautiful about the phases of these young, innocent lives, this innocent faith, because God is faithful to those young souls. He's faithful to that five-year-old. He's faithful to that 12-year-old. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's a big promise to billions of people. But yet somehow the arrow of that entire verse lands in the simple word, you. At 19, I married. We had our struggles, as most couples do, but managed to work through them Eventually, we became a family of four. And amongst all those blissful, beautiful highlights of those 11 years are also scattered many painful and lonely moments. Within them are memories that tortured me for way longer than any regenerated soul should allow, for this is not how God intends his children to live. These are the places where the words dark and dirty and deep are the only adjectives that could properly be used. The words wounded, proud and selfish and shame and bitterness and guilt and victim shone like spotlights on this guilty criminal. I put those words on one garment at a time, one attitude at a time, one layer at a time. And through many of those years, I truly became acquainted with suffering. I had not known it before, ever. Admittedly, the majority of it was self-induced, but quite frankly, friends, I don't really know how, or how to weigh which one hurts more. They both hurt. What you've done and what's been done to you. 
In my failed attempts to work patiently through it honestly and lovingly with my spouse and my family and the incomparable counsel of God's word, I wore a mask and I handled things my way. Went to church, served in the nursery, sang in the choir. But this is me, 1986. Slowly but surely, my integrity and character were tarnished, and there began the dismantling of a young woman. I never considered what God might think about me or what I was doing, and it all began with one single thing, compromise. Eventually, this all led to catastrophic consequences in the lives of my husband, and my five-year-old and three-year-old sons. It was devastating to our parents, our family, our friends, the entire church that my father pastored at. It was, it was really bad. <laughs> so we divorced, and I was the one who drove away with those two little boys standing in the screen door in our home. I was a childless mother, and it was nobody's fault but mine. The cost was significant, and so this annual visit of Mother's Day would guarantee for me to be a day of utter mourning. Through a series of mercy and grace-given opportunities, those relationships were street sweetly restored. And today I treasure and have for many years being a good mom, enjoying my two sons, beautiful daughters-in-law, and the surprise gift of a today a five-year-old grandson, but mark it down. This one you need to remember. Bad decisions destroy your options, and their consequences leave blistering wounds. When there was uh, two marked events that I want to share with you, uh, in the final devastating months, um, I added tremendous fuel to the fire and I began a six-year journey with drugs. One evening, my parents came to our home, which is situated on the canyon rim that overlooks the, I gotta get my bearings right, the 805 and the 8, we live right on the rim. And I had been busted for these drugs by my boyfriend and he had insisted that the greatest form of humiliation for me would be to confess that to my parents. And so there they came and they sat in our living room silently listening to my confession through a flood of very shameful tears. When there was nothing left to say, I just stood there in front of them, hung my head in shame, and found a little piece of the carpet to stare at. And there I sat inside, they sat in silence. But it was my mother who interrupted the scene. She's the star of the show here. She came to me, threw her arms around me, and escorted me down the short hall of our home to the master bedroom. And we sat on the edge of the bed, and there she talked to me about the boundless love of God. But the real good gift that she gave to me was when she said this, Diane, you don't have to be hurt anymore. Let's go out to the balcony and throw her away. What a brilliant thing to say. 
She said, start all over, and Jesus will meet you where you are. He promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. His presence is not contingent on your behavior. So she prayed over me, and then we walked out the French doors, and we stepped into this dark sky, and that's exactly what I did. I took dark Diane, and I pitched her over that balcony rail as hard as I could possibly do it, and praise God, I never touched those drugs again. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> The second marked event happened 14 years later, and while it's true those drugs were not in my life anymore, not much of Jesus had been either. I was spiritually flatlined. Note this, parents. This is very important. If I ever have an opportunity to speak on this, I'm going to talk to you parents about how how you just ought to keep on being patient and pray for your children because they never pressured me about this. They never nagged me about it. They never ridiculed me or shamed me. They just kept enjoying their lives and loving me and praying for me and trusting in God's timing. They allowed my story to unravel the way God wanted it to unravel. And they were joyful and hope-filled all the way. They were paying attention to their walk with Christ, their journey, their trials, and leaving the results up to him. And I am certain that my mother had some Mother's Days that she didn't care for either. Because it was hard for her in those long wandering years of her daughter. But she prayed for me every day and I'm very, very grateful that they're still praying for me almost 69 years. I'm remembering now of an evening in 1986 when my parents took me out to dinner to the Black Angus, and while we were waiting for the server to bring our food, my dad clasped his hands on top of the table, and he leaned in toward me and said, Diane, your mother and I love you very much. We will always love you, but the choices that you are making in your life are making us very unhappy. That said, you will never steal our joy. You don't give it to us, and you cannot take it away because our joy comes from the Lord. And you know it was the consistency of their relationship with God that became the greatest influence for me to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ because while their daughter was all over the map for six years, and just kind of living life with no direction for 14. They were consistent and walked with Jesus and had a joy-filled life, and I had a front row seat. And there's something else to remember about that. Walking with Jesus is the only way to go, period. If you're not walking with him, you need to do some self-evaluation and reconsider the direction that you're going because they proved it to me. They proved to me that Jesus saves and Jesus works. One day I stood in the bathroom mirror and I stared directly in my eyes. You ever do that? You kind of look, who's the, I'm looking at you, like right through. Not just the hair and the lips and all that other stuff, like deep into the soul. 
And I said, Lord Jesus, if there is anything left in me of you, would you please come and rescue me? Take me from this flatlined life and bring me back the joy that I once knew. And you know what? Just like that, it happened. Instantly. And I sobbed in the bathroom sink for like a half hour, just watching all this sin just come out of my life and this loneliness and pointless way to live. And I came out of that bathroom and I walked down the hall and my boyfriend had since become my husband and I said, look, I'm going to spend every morning in that back bedroom. Don't bother me. If somebody calls, I'm not here. I need to start my day with the Lord Jesus Christ and I still do that to this very day and that was back in 2006. That's direction, not perfection. Ask anybody that knows me but I'm headed in the right direction. You see, seeing the cost of sin in my life helped me to understand and appreciate the value of forgiveness. And I'll tell you something else. Living in the loneliness of sin helped me to prioritize the company of Christ. And to this day, I will never get over him not getting over me. Philippians 1.6 belongs to me. That little you who he planted inside of me at five years old never died because God's promises are true. So I began a quest, and I wanted to seek the answer to three questions. Who am I? Not just my parents' daughter, but who am I to my creator? Where am I? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with my life? I started with, like I said, just really praying and seeking those things, and I became a seeker. I wanted to find. If God is revealing himself into scripture, I'm going to be a seeker and find out what it is he wants me to know about him. Not what my dad taught me, not what my mom lived out, but really, I wanted to make it mine. So... The balcony became and still is my place to meditate on life, on the things that I take in from God's word, and I apply them to my circumstances and situations. I mean, if you, if you walk outside and spend any time outside, there's 50 billion analogies of our spiritual life and what's happening in nature. But before I begin our short study, I, don't, I just want to say I don't think there's anything special about me. I'm just an average gal. But I'm going to assume that there are most likely some who are in this audience who could say that at one point in your life, or maybe even today, that you don't care so much for Mother's Day either. I'll not list all the reasons, and guys, you are not exempt from this because Father's Day is in June. <laughs> so listen up. You are calculating in your own mind right now why you don't care for Mother's Day or Father's Day. But it's my prayer that wherever you fit in, that by the end of our time together this morning, we're all going to be clo drawn closer to Jesus because he always, always, always provides healing, stability, hope, 
rest, and peaceful resolutions where you're the fender or the great offender or both. We all find freedom at the foot of Jesus Christ, and that gives us all a view, a divine viewpoint and a divine perspective. Well, as I considered our biblical text for this message, I thought about what I've learned about life in my past 15, 16 years of intense study and seeking. Um, what short passage could we go to where we could learn some specific things that would help us find the things that we need to know, help us to live a life and make decisions with no compromise? And um, I guess if there was ever a good Mother's Day message or Father's Day message, it would certainly be uh, this passage right here. Children need mothers who will stay the course. Because you know what, ladies? We are the heartbeat of the home. We've just stood beside these parents dedicating their children, promising to help them raise them to love God. And how do we do that? And what does that look like? What does that really mean? So to Colossians chapter 3, I would like us to go today. Uh, Paul's epistles are written to the church, and we are that. And in each one of those prescriptions, uh, Chap, uh, books, epistles, he talks to the church in general, but he always throws in that it always begins with you individually. So the book of Colossians is just four chapters long. The first two primarily deal with doctrines. So chapter one, he's going to focus on who God is, who Jesus is. Chapter two, he moves on into uh, the magnificent details of what Jesus Christ had done for you. So first know who he is and next understand what he does because there's nothing greater to know this. There's nothing greater for you to know who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for you and that then becomes the cornerstone of your life. That is, that's the foundation. That is the grace-filled foundation of your soul. So there's your source of joy. It's not what you've done. It's what he's done for you. Moving into the third chapter, kind of Paul digs into the details of who you and I are regarding this truth. Because of this, this is how you ought to behave in your life. This is what you're to look like. You should act differently because you're different. So your daughter may be in chaos all over the place, but not you, Bob and Betty. This is how you are to behave when your daughter's all over the map. So in other words... You and I, as Christians, have had an extreme home makeover. So, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, that's cool. At some point, read this on your own, and, and kind of maybe you can reflect on what you're learning today. Let's take the first four verses verses because this sets the scene to everything and I want you to visualize yourself even if you live in a home with no balcony pretend you have one in front of your soul if then you have been raised with Christ this is a discipline of your thoughts now seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are above not on, not on things that are on earth 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Listen, I got to interject this. This is giving you a, a view that extends beyond your expiration date in life, in time. You, you have been redeemed to live for eternity. So what you do here in time, it's a vapor. But when you're thinking from a divine viewpoint, man, that goes on and on and on forever. We can't fathom that. But you choose your attitude. One day at a time, you put it on. You set your mind. You take a new biblical perspective about the situations and the circumstances in your life. You worried and frustrated with what's going on in your life? Get into God's word like I did not do and start finding those promises and hang on and hang on to them. My dad said they're like logs. You build yourself a raft with those promises. And when the floodwaters come, man, you've got something to hold on to. But if you're not prepared, you're going to be all over the place and maybe even go over the cliff. So, Set your mind on things that are above. There are a million sermons in that one verse. Moving on, Paul focuses on how to do that. Now, this is a very practical area of Scripture. We find very basic principles to Christian living. It, de it demands from us a certain pattern of behavior, and it's given in this whole section from verses 5 to 17. Certain things should character characterize us. He kind of builds the motif up as if we're putting on clothes and taking off clothes. Old garments, the way you, the stuff that you used to have in your home before you had the extreme home makeover. Why are you sitting on the old sofa when you got a brand new sofa? Why are you using those old appliances when you've got brand new appliances? So this is kind of where he's going with all of this. Pitch that old stuff over the rail. I found a beautiful illustration. I want you to hang on to this because it's a visual that will help you. By A.J. Gordon, here's what he says. I have seen in the autumn when the trees have shed their leaves that two or three leaves have stuck fast on the branches and have clung to them through the storms of winter. But when the spring has come and the sap has begun to ascend, the leaves have disappeared, pushed off by the rising tide of new life. You keep on doing the things that God wants you to do. And you just keep your eyes on those old autumn leaves as they begin to fall. Verse 5 to 9, he tells us to take these things off. My friends, I had every one of these on, almost. I'm not going to tell everything. <laughs> Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these days, you too once walked 
when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away over the rail, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is all about me. Self-centeredness. Like I said, I put these on one at a time. And one step, my friend, leads to the next step. And pretty soon, <laughs> you don't even know where you're at. You wake up in the morning and you're like, who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? You get lost in all of that. It doesn't fit you anymore. It all leads to destruction, dead ends, cul-de-sacs, and you'll be sitting there in the ashes of your very own doing. Moving on, there's a shift, and it's all about embracing the heart of others. Now, it's not about you anymore. It's about your spouse. It's about your children. It's about your parents. It's about the people in your house church. It's about the girls who come to your Bible study group. Experience God's word. Verses 10 and 11. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. We're just all the same. Every one of us, it's the same gift. It's the same gig. We're to take it in and live it out. Pastor Jesse, or Josh told us the word is epignosis. You know, this is you experiencing God's work in your life. It's not something you read and just clogs it up in your head. I call it soul train. I like this whole idea of taking in God's word by faith, believing it, and then by obedience, living it, doing it, and then you experience the wisdom of God's word, and that's what he's talking about. You need to be renewed in the knowledge of God's word. Verses 12, to, well, let me back up and just say this right there, that this is what my mom and dad did. This is where their joy came from. By taking in God's word, believing in it, believing in Philippians 1, 6, when their daughter was not believing in it, trusting that someday he would bring it to fruition. Verses 12 to 14, we're taught then what to put on. If you're going to take that stuff on, off, there's something new to put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you so must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which kind of binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I note that there are seven things that I want to point out that are just packed in these two verses. To begin with, compassionate hearts. The Greek is splachna. And that's another thing. I don't know if Jesse or Josh talked about this, but I like that I know what they're talking about. That's kind of like, yeah, I know that too. <laughs> Splachna is something that you feel in your stomach. The Greek would say to themselves, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I reasoned in my mind, and that makes sense. But the Jew would say, oh, I felt it in my heart. 
It's a gut feeling to have compassion for someone. Um, here, Paul is writing letter to a people who live in a society where they cast human beings off to the side of the wall to just let them die by themselves. No compassion. They didn't even know compassion. And Jesus saying, look, people, I want you to understand what compassion is, and I want you to have that as a part of your character. It's a brand new ball game for the world. This is something brand new. The idea is, you know, Jesus comes along and he said, look, don't do it that way anymore. I have a better way. It's very opposite of selfishness and indifference. Christians ought to have the greatest heart of philanthropy in the whole world. And I'm, I'm here to say, when you have a mom or a dad who has a compassionate heart, and you give this to your children, beginning in your own personal world, in public and at work, playing in your home, and you put compassion on, your children will see this in you. My mother was compassionate with me. My mom and dad were compassionate with me when I wasn't doing what I should have been doing. My mom was compassionate for me when in the living room, when I was shamed, she stood up from the sofa and with tears in her eyes embraced me and said, I love you, honey. Let's go fix this. Number two is kindness, and they kind of overlap. Kindness is a virtue of a man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. That's a kind per person. Kindness transforms circumstances, situation, and people. And most importantly, it transforms you. When you're kind, if your wife or your husband is being unkind to you, don't be unkind back. Other, otherwise, you guys are having fits. And I know this. Your children will see, and they'll respond to that, and most likely follow you. And if not, someday, someday they will pattern after you. They will learn, but they're never going to learn if they don't see you being kind. Number three is humility. There's a humbleness in your thinking, not just being humble about one or two things, but just having this character of not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Not how do I feel, or how is this making me feel, girls? We're like all about how we feel. <laughs> I found it interesting that there's no word in classical Greek for humility. Well, I don't know why, because they didn't believe in humility. Pride was the Greek's attitude. And then here comes Jesus, and he shows humility, and here comes Christianity, and it says, put on humility. Number four is meekness. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly at heart. This isn't some spineless, wimpy character. Meek means a willingness to suffer injury rather than inflict it. It's loving without conditions. If somebody's going to get hurt in this deal, let it, be, let it be me. If somebody has to lose, let it be me. Uh-uh, I did not put that on. Meekness is a sweet gentleness. And I think you have to be pretty strong to be meek. And the bottom line is, when you find a person who persecutes you or the person who rubs you the wrong way or hassles you, believer or not, you just throw on this mantle of meekness. Some, somebody's going to change when you do that. And once again, 
is going to be you. It always starts in you first, and then it permeates out to the rest of the world. Number five is patience. Now, I might be the only one who needs this. No? Didn't think so. Macrothemia, it's all over the New Testament. It just means here's somebody who never loses his patience with anybody, and that would pretty, that'd be a nice thought. That's something we got to work on, isn't it? Number six is forgiving. You do this individually and as a body among yourselves. What Christ has done for us all, Paul says, is Christ has forgiven you, so you forgive one another. So be a forgiving person and begin with yourself. I'm going to tell you something, friends. If I wasn't able to forgive myself for the things that I did, I could never be standing up here today shouting the great goodness of God. Never. I would be sitting in some back room pining over something that I can never change. Forgiving. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your children. Forgive your parents. Let it go. Throw it over the rail. Corey Tim Boom, if there was ever anybody who had to deal with forgiveness, it would be her. She has the greatest quotes ever. Here's one of my favorites. Forgiveness is a key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs of hatred. It's a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. So once you've got all these garments on, Jesus wants you to throw a robe over the whole thing. And you know, I mean, if you've watched The Chosen, you see they got layers and layers of clothes. And then they put a robe on, and it's sometimes a sash. And they just wrap that all together. And this is the word love. Love binds everything together. Love binds a compassionate heart and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness. Love fulfills the whole law. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit one step at a time. He produces love and all the rest of this stuff falls into place. It perfects it. It puts it all together. It binds up. And this is the kind of people we need to be. And I'm telling you, friends, it has to happen one day at a time. It's a decision that we make. This is our new robe. Finally, Paul writes the conclusion so you might as well just take a big, deep breath here right now because if you fail at all this other stuff, he's got a little, little ditty-goody at the end of it. Here's what it says. What to do. Here's the details. Now let me get you the general. Verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You choose that. You have to let it to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, that's God's word, Bible doctrine, knowledge, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's the verse that if I had the guts and I wasn't so old, I would do. And everything you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
at work, at play. I, I was a glass artist for 25 years and would stand in front of glory holes and I'd think, man, I need that right there, right now. I need that verse right there. A few weeks ago, Jesse taught us about prayer and how important it is in our lives. Josh carried on with the privilege of it, and may I add one more thing to the pot. My dad taught me something years ago that I want to share with you before we close. I call it the great exchange. Prayer is four simple steps. This is the formula that they used their whole lives. Number one, go to God. Talk to him. Let your children know and watch you do this. Don't close the door when you're on your knees. Invite him in. Number two, tell him your needs. He knows what they are, but he wants you to say them out loud because then you can watch him work in those specific things in your life. Number three, turn them over to him. All of it. Turn your wayward daughter. Lord Jesus, she's yours. You work in her life in your good time. And if you have to keep doing it all day long, just keep on making that great exchange. Number four, trust him with the results. Here's my good word. If you knew what he knows, you would do what he does and when he does it. This is you being the best you God has designed. Do this with your children. Tuck little Bible verses into their heart every morning. They need soul food too. And as you do, you will elevate their little lives. You'll show them respect and teach them the most important elements in life. And finally, don't forget to keep your eye on that autumn tree. You're going to watch those leaves fade away. And the blessings of new life are going to unfold for you. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to have the band come up, kind of pick up where they left us off. But I want you all to consider this in your own life. This, is, this whole balcony business happens for us all, not just me. You have a balcony in your life. And there may be some things that you need to pitch over the rail to. I don't know what they are. That's between you and him. But in one hot minute, you can definitely make a change in the direction that you're going. God bless you. Let's pray together before we leave. Father God, we, you are so amazing. Who else? Who else could make something beautiful about all of the ashes that we have burned in our own lives? Only you. And uh, I just pray, Father, for each soul that is here, each mother that is here. I pray that you would give each mother a view to her future. In these young years, they're hard, they're overwhelming, and we have a lot of feels that are involved with that, Lord. But I pray that the truth of your word would dominate our thinking as we set our minds on things that are above. In Jesus' name, amen.